Last week we were in our second sermon. We made it through verse 4. Tonight we will, uh, by the help of the Lord, only be able to get to one verse. But it is a verse of great consequence in the book of Romans. uh, Because it mentions something that is so vital to our faith. Something that is so richly deep and important. And really... For us to go any further in the book of Romans, we've really got to do a good job tonight to the best of our ability to understand exactly what this word means. Know this, and we'll say this before we pray and get into Scripture. There are some elements of your faith. There are some doctrines in authentic Christianity that you in your human capability in your human mind are not going to be able to fully or completely understand until you get home to heaven and your faith, that's the key word, becomes sight. Some of this is by faith, believing. That's why it's called faith. It's not what we can necessarily see or even understand or comprehend in our own ability, but that we cast ourselves at the mercy of Jesus Christ, and that by faith we trust Him. There's so much in this one verse. We really could spend weeks here, but with the help of the Lord, we'll try to spend only one night here. Let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank You again for an opportunity to come into Your presence, God, to study Your Word, God, to preach the Word of God without fear and without favor. And tonight, Father, we need You. Holy Ghost of God, we ask you to come for you to do the work. God, only you can open men's hearts and minds. God, only you can allow us to see the truth. Lord, that's a work and God, it's the office of the Holy Spirit and what he does. And Father, tonight I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. And Lord, that I would preach, Lord, what you would have me to preach. Lord, I ask for liberty. Lord, I pray that you'd bind distraction. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person that's unable to be here tonight in this building, Lord, who are worshiping online. Father, I pray that you would bless them, encourage them, be with them. Father, I'm thankful that I serve a God who's able to be here as well as thousands of miles away. God, you're everywhere and you're able to take this message and do as you please. I belong to you. This message belongs to you. This pulpit and this church and these beautiful people belong to you tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Verse number four of Romans chapter one. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse number five. By whom we have received grace. Stop right there. If you're a highlighter, if you are an underliner or a star person in your Bible with marker or pen or chisel and stone, do so now at the word grace. We'll come back to that. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. We talked about verse number two through four this gospel of God as it pertains to the person of Jesus Christ. The only review that I want to do tonight is to give you yet again, one more time, the nine absolutes of Christ. I'm not going to expound on them at all. I'm going to simply read them in list form. Number one, his deity, his virgin birth is number two. Number three is his sinless life. Number four, his miraculous ministry. Number five, his arrest, trial, and wrongful conviction. Verse number six, rather number six, his death by Roman crucifixion. Let me say this, we explored Psalm 22 in detail uh, and how powerful it was for us to see that crucifixion, Roman crucifixion, was mentioned in the Old Testament thousands of years, even before the Romans had occupied the lands of Judea and Samaria. Number seven, his resurrection 
His ascension is number eight. And number nine, his second coming. These things that I just listed are the absolute non-negotiables when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. We allow ourselves no deviation, no wild imagination, nor consequence of doubt in these nine things. There are other things we could put here, but as the fundamentals and the basics of the gospel of God, these things are non-negotiable. The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, the fact that he, yes, was arrested exactly where he got arrested, where he was betrayed and how he was betrayed, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of those things are non-negotiables. If you miss that message, as we go along, it will be important that you uh, kind of build the blocks. If you ever had uh, Lincoln Logs, you know that you've got to build correctly or it gets wobbly. So go back and go to the archives and listen to that message, the first and second message, if you've missed both of them, on Romans 1. Now tonight we go into uh, Romans 1, 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. To understand what it's saying here, by whom we have to remember and go back to verse 3 and verse number 4. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God. Now we come to verse number 5. That's who Jesus is. That's what the gospel of God is. Now we get to partake in this chain reaction by whom, that means that you and me partake in what's happening here, by whom we have received grace. By whom is Jesus we received grace and we received apostleship. We received grace and we received apostleship by the person of Jesus Christ. Know this, this theme, this verse is so telling of what's coming in the rest of this letter. Grace will find itself all throughout the book of Romans. And if you don't begin now to understand and see grace biblically defined, then by the time you get to the end of the book of Romans, you're going to be turned around one which way or another. You need to right now ask God to help you truly embrace and understand biblical grace as it is found in Holy Scripture. This theme of grace, we'll see it multiple times. And some of what we are going to discuss tonight will force us to have to skip ahead a few chapters in Romans. We'll come back to those later. But we've got to get the full picture and begin this process of understanding grace. Verse 5 is the first mention, the first reference of this word grace. Grace is the most crucial part of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Grace is the most crucial element, the most crucial part of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift from God, wholly separate, separated from human uh, manipulation, totally separated from human workings. Grace is totally separated from human achievement. Grace is totally separated from human ability. The grace that Paul is speaking of here is a grace that belongs within the nucleus of the gospel of God and no man can alter that gospel and no man can change that gospel. God owns that gospel and he's got a trademark at the top of it that you cannot change. It doesn't mean that people do not preach it incorrectly or teach it incorrectly or use it as some sort of false doctrine that they've modified in the lab of humanism. But the point is grace exists. It belongs to God and it's a part of the gospel message. If you do not have grace in the gospel message, then you do not have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Grace is essential. Grace is a must. We must have the grace of of God. The nature of this grace is found in Ephesians 2 8. For by grace are ye saved 
through faith. And here it is. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is God's doings. This is God's workings. And you cannot change the grace element of who God is. The nature of grace is the power of the Holy Spirit given by the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is the nature of this grace. The effect on people who receive this grace is obedience of the faith, salvation. If you ever get a hold of grace and your eyes are open to the truth that Jesus Christ himself bestowed upon you lavishly grace and mercy, ladies and gentlemen, that is part of what being saved is, is that you see it and that you receive it. There's not a single solitary person living on this earth that is saved, that does not know that they are saved. If you are saved, if you are born again in the family of God and you have seen with your human eyes and your human heart the doings and the workings of God as it pertains to grace, then are you in the family of God. There are no people in this earth blindly walking around who happened on some sort of grace or salvation landmine that, oh, I got saved and I don't know about it. It is a devastating effect. It is the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit of God that touches even the most wicked, vile heart that's deeply rooted in sin straight back to the father of Adam himself who sinned in the garden. This is a cataclysmic head-on collision of humanity and the holiness of God. And anyone, whoever is to be saved, will see grace for what it is. You can't have apples and oranges and call it a cantaloupe. It just doesn't work that way. That is the effect of grace. Salvation, the obedience of the faith. Number three, the goal of grace is God's glory. Number one, the nature of grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the effect of grace is the obedience of the faith. It's salvation. Ephesians 2.8 shows us that. And then lastly, the goal of grace is simply God's glory. The goal, the achievement of God's grace is God's glory. If our chief end, if the whole reason we live on this earth is for us to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then our salvation, our inheritance, our adoption into the family of God is simply yet again to give God glory. This is all about God's glory. Anyone who preaches and says that God needed man, he needed a fallen man to be able to bestow grace and mercy at him for God to be God, that's heresy. God could have left humanity completely alone and destitute and broken in their humanity, never sending the son Jesus to become the perfect sacrifice. And God would have still been a merciful, gracious, holy, righteous, unimaginable God of goodness. That's just who he is. That's the nature of our God. God did not need man for him to be a gracious God. He was already a gracious God. That's just who he is. And you cannot comprehend Romans if you do not begin to comprehend to the best of your ability with the help of the Lord, the word grace. We'll see it again over and over and over. And really grace is the heart of this letter. It's the heart of the book of Romans. It's the core message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And grace represents for us the heart of God towards me and towards you. Grace is so mishandled. Grace today especially is so abused. Grace has been taken into the lab of humanity and humanism. And it's been restructured for comfort and plausible deniability of any effect on man. That, ladies and gentlemen, is unbiblical grace. That is 
grace that finds itself outside the bounds of what God himself defines the grace as. If we believe that the Bible is the holy inspired word of God and that our faith is authentically defined from scripture, then I cannot allow myself to find some sort of path of least resistance authored by some man, some seminary somewhere and say, well, that's what I believe. What a dangerous thing that is. You must go to the root of God's word for the definition of your faith. It matters not what a Luther or a Calvin or a Spurgeon or any of them say at the end of the day, past what God's word says. John Calvin did not die for my sins. Charles Spurgeon did not resurrect himself when he died as the prince of preachers, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the prince of all princes, Jesus Christ helped write my Bible. Not those gentlemen. There's wonderful things in their teaching. There's wonderful things here and there and everywhere through all of theology and teaching. There's wonderful men. And I love so much of what some of these men have written and I thank God for them. But at the end of the day, if one of them veers off of what God's word says, then I have to have the biblical sense and foreknowledge to say, hey, I want to make sure what I just read is found in God's word. I want to know that it's in the book. And if you hear something that challenges your heart, if you hear something on a TV program or a YouTube preacher and it doesn't quite line up, go back, listen to it again, and then go find it in God's Word. Do your best. Find someone who knows God's Word. Study with them. Show thyself approved. Biblical grace as defined authentically by the Bible is what we desperately need. It's what we desperately, desperately need. Need, But it has been in this generation especially so mishandled. It's been made so cheap. It's been made something that it is not. And really now so many people in the cookie cutter Christian movement preach grace as some sort of ethereal glowing light of warmth and emotion. And if you'll just simply acknowledge that it exists, then somehow transitionally the ether and the glow of that warm good feeling will pass unto you and that will be your salvation unto faith in Jesus Christ. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a lie. And it's a damning lie. Unbiblical grace is so dangerous. Unbiblical grace can cost people eternity. Unbiblical grace is a cancer. And the only remedy is God's holy, inspired word. We must demand, you personally, me as your pastor, all of these other men that teach and preach the word of God that are outside, that are outside even the walls of Trinity Baptist Church, that are a part of our family, all of us, all of us who are students of the Word of God, we must demand that any doctrine be defined by God's holy Word, including grace. So then what is grace according to Scripture? Not according to Arminianism, not according to Calvinism, not according to any other school of thought. But what is grace as defined by Holy Scripture? What we need so desperately in our lives. Oversimplified, there's an acronym that a lot of people use to simply describe grace. And it's a wonderful place to start, but it's not where we need to leave it alone. There's more. But that acronym, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. One of the best known definitions of grace is only three words. God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. A.W. Tozer expanded on that. He said, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. That's me and that's you. That's grace. One theologian said this, he said, the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man effected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's grace. 
It is the working of the Holy Spirit of God that is manifested, applied to the lives of those who do not believe. Grace is this. Listen to these words. Grace is not merely unmerited favor. It is favor bestowed upon sinners who deserved wrath. Grace is something that is bestowed upon sinners who did not deserve grace, but deserve the opposite of that grace, which is the wrath of God. Showing kindness to a stranger is unmerited favor. You don't know them. You don't owe them anything, as it were. That's unmerited favor. Someone you see walking on the street and you hand them a $20 bill and say, God bless you in Jesus' name. I don't know what that's for, but I just wanted to bless you. That's unmerited favor. They did nothing to earn that $20 bill. You just simply gave it to them. That's unmerited favor. Doing good to one's enemies. That is the spirit of biblical grace. It's more than unmerited favor. You see, you and I were enemies of God, naturally born as enemies of God. You say, that's too strong. God loves me. He's for me. Yes, He does love you. Yes, He does want to save you. Yes, He can save you. Yes, He will save you. But until you are in the family, you are a rebellious person who is marked as an enemy of God. That's according to Scripture. And when the grace of God is revealed to us and is applied to us and we're saved, we're born again, for by grace are you saved. No longer are we that enemy of God, but we become sons and daughters of God. That's the good part. But grace must be understood as we build these blocks. Grace is not dead. Praise the Lord for that. Grace is not dead. Grace is not some sort of abstract quality Grace is dynamic, grace is active, and grace is working even today as a principle. Grace abounds. Titus 2, 11 through 12 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In other words, the grace that is given to us, it is revealed to us by that grace that it's not just some sort of cheap injection, uh, get out of jail or hell free card. Rather, it compels us, it causes us to want to live a particular way because of the grace and the mercy bestowed upon us. We see it for what it is and it radically changes our lives. Does it mean that we are perfect? No. Does it mean that we'll never sin again? Absolutely not. But if you understand what to be born again is, it literally means that there is a regeneration that happens in the heart and in the soul of man and that the dead man is replaced with a new and living man who has to live until glorification in this body of flesh that one day will be under perfect subjection in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven forever. Salvation is dramatic. Salvation is a head-on collision with God. Grace is not some sort of fragile blessing that's hidden idle underneath the surface until we find it relevant to believe it or to embrace it in our own lives. Grace is God's sovereign initiative to sinners. Grace is God's sovereign initiative sinners. Without this sovereign God giving that initiative towards sinners that we could have a way out, we would be doomed. There would be no hope apart from the grace of God. This is an incredible gift that God has given to those who believe. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, there's more to be said here, but look at what these verses saying. According as he hath chosen us in him 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The glory of his grace is your adoption into the family of God. That is the glory of his grace, that you would be adopted into the family of God. And through that, we are accepted. And through that grace, we are loved, not by man, not by culture, Maybe not even by your friends or by your family. But the grace that God bestows upon lost, broken men is a grace that brings with it great love and great acceptance at the Father's table, at the Father's house, with all the benefits of being a son and a daughter of the Father. That, ladies and gentlemen, is good, godly grace. And it was bestowed at his will, at his desire, in his mercy, and in love towards lost men who could never earn it nor pay it back. This will allow you to begin to see just how much it is God truly loves you. That he would choose to love you. Not that he was strong-armed into some position that he was made to be your father, but that he saw you in your sin and in your loneliness and in your wickedness and in the destitute nature of your humanity. And even in all of that, he said, no, 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 I want him. I choose him. He is mine. Holy Ghost, go get him. Oh, what a God. Oh, what a Savior. That the Holy Ghost would do the work and that he would show me grace and show me mercy and show me love and show me acceptance and bring me in by the beckoning and the wooing of the Holy Spirit that I would see Christ for who he is and forever be part of his family. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter what I say, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. But because I see my salvation for what it is, for by grace are you saved through faith, I want to please my Father to the best of my ability. Thank you, God, for loving me for saving me and for calling me out of the far country and calling me a son. Grace goes on and on. Understand that grace is not simply a one-time event at salvation. Grace is active. Grace is alive. Grace is well to this day. Number one, three things about grace that you must know. Number one, Christians, believers, the sons and daughters of God, we stand in grace. We're able to stand, we're able to do life, we're able to carry on because we stand in grace. Romans 5, 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The grace of God is exactly what you need to be able to withstand this dark, wicked, sin-sick mud ball called earth. If you want to be able to withstand and if you want to be able to make it, you're going to have to stand in grace. Stand in the grace of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God. It's what you need. We stand in grace. What does that mean? I stand in grace. That means no matter where you go, grace and mercy will follow you. You stand in grace. Number two, our Christian life is driven and it is empowered by grace. The heart of a Christian is to be strengthened by grace and not by anything physical on this earth. 
There is nothing on this earth that can satisfy you like the grace of God can satisfy you. Your life as a Christian is driven, it's empowered, and it's kept in the right place by grace. Hebrews 13.9 Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy your heart like grace can satisfy your heart. When you begin to see who you are and you begin to see who God is and just how much it is He loves you and how much grace and mercy was really bestowed upon you, in this life you'll never really be able to see it or understand it, but you can start to scratch and sniff and see just how much it is He loves you. And when we get home to heaven one day, in that full capacity you will understand just how glorious and gracious and merciful God was to you. When you see the glory and the splendor of heaven and your eyes behold Jesus Christ and your eyes behold God the Father and your eyes behold all those saints of all the angels standing around worshiping at the throne, all those who have gone on before us, that's when it will really start to hit home. Just how gracious and merciful this God would be that He would allow you access into His perfect, sinless, temptationless kingdom. That's grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor towards people who deserve the polar opposite. I deserved nothing but hell. I deserved nothing but the judgment and the wrath of God. I deserved no seat at the table. I deserve no love. I deserve no compassion. There is nothing inside the humanity of Winston Parish that causes God to owe me any of that. But in grace and in mercy, He loves me anyway. We're driven by grace. We're able to get up out of the bed and look at the madness of this world around us and stand firm in that grace and look out and say, I am sustained today by the grace and the mercy of God and I will continue to walk until he calls me home. That's grace. Number three, we are to grow in grace and in knowledge. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Any glory you have ever received was God's glory. Any goodness that you've ever received was God's goodness. Any righteousness imparted unto you cannot be from you. It must be God's righteousness and goodness and grace and mercy. There is nothing from anyone on this earth that can replace what God does in the hearts of men. And we're not to simply receive it and stay stale. We're to receive it. We're to understand it. We're to stand in it, to be controlled by it. And then we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Saved people are hungry for truth. The people who belong in the kingdom of God, they desire to know more about this person, this God, this wonderful, wonderful person, this wonderful God who bestowed upon them grace and mercy. Something inside of you must know more about Him. And the older you get and the more you understand, the more you see who He is, the more depth of Him that He imparts unto you, the more you'll want to please Him. I'm afraid there's so many people alive today on this earth that are my age and a little older and they have no real idea of what a relationship with Jesus Christ really is. They have been sold some watered-down Kool-Aid version of a Jesus that does not exist. And there are some telling verses 
that even Jesus Himself said, many will say in that day, and He will reply, depart. I did not know you. I can't help but think but there will be some people who have to give an account for some of the people who said, Father, here I am, and to whom He said, depart. There's some accountability that I think God will one day bring to justice. That's why it's so important that you understand how to study, how to read, and how to take apart each one of these verses and hide it deep in your heart. The truth. The truth. So much of this is going to repeat itself in Romans. We're going to be able to go deeper into this. But one last thing I want to show you here in this one verse. The Apostle Paul, and you're going to see this, especially if we ever go in verse by verse into Galatians. But the Apostle Paul frequently contrasts grace with the law. We will see that for the first time and come back to this in Romans 4. But I want to give you a taste of this because you really can't talk about the beginnings of grace without understanding the contrast between the law and grace. Galatians 2.21 says this, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What he's saying If the righteousness of the law keepers, of men and women who keep the Sabbath, who keep all the laws and the customs, if that's how righteousness comes, then Christ died for no reason. In other words, there are no works, there are no laws to be kept, there is no goodness you can do on this earth to replace the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law. In other words, if you are hoping, if you are trying, if you are working to keep some sort of rule book or some Baptist legalistic uh, pamphlet to be your salvation, you're just as blind as a Hasidic Jew who goes to the wall to pray. It's not his righteousness that you can live without. It's His righteousness that you must have to live. And there is no righteousness that you can impart upon yourself or another person in any mechanics of human living that can replace what Jesus Christ did in His grace. Paul wanted the readers of this letter the hearers of this letter in Romans to understand the difference and the contrast of the law and grace. Grace does not nullify the moral demands of God's law. Stay with me now. We'll close in just a moment. But you want to embrace this as we go. Grace does not nullify the moral demands of God's law. That's where people who preach or teach that because of the grace of God, you can live as you please as a filthy animal and one day find yourself in the kingdom of God as a son and a daughter with many crowns bestowed upon you. That is not biblical. Show me. It does not exist. Grace does not put to death the law. Rather, the grace of God fulfills the righteousness of the law. The law and grace are married perfectly and they were joined together at the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 14 and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Then he asks the question. He answers the liberality of the human heart. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? He answers it in two words that still apply in 2022. God forbid... 
God forbid. How could we if we see Christ and his death and his brutality that he received on the cross becoming our sin? How then can we sin? How is it possible? He says, God forbid. Grace does not give the Christian a live like you want to card. It causes the Christian, the true believer, those who are in authentic faith to embrace the person of Jesus Christ and surrender to him as Lord of their life to obey them unto the faith. This is the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous people that availeth much when they pray for someone who is Lost and undone. I cannot save your loved one. I cannot save your son, your daughter. I cannot force them to sign a card and cry in an altar and that be their salvation. The Holy Ghost of God must open their eyes. The light must come on and they must see Christ for who He is. You cannot be saved until you know that you're lost. We have so cheapened the effectual work of the Holy Spirit of God. It does not belong to any school of thought. The grace of God belongs to God. It's according to His Word. Grace does not nullify those moral demands. It it allows us an opportunity to tell Him how much we love Him. In the way we live. Grace does not make righteousness obsolete. Nor cancel the righteous demands of the law. In Christ it confirms it and it validates it. Romans 3.31 Do we then make void the law through faith? Here he answered again. God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. They are married perfectly together because of the person of Jesus Christ. Grace has its own law. It's a more elevated law. It's a higher law. It's a liberating law. And it's the perfect law of liberty found in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. James 1, 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Not only is grace the law of liberty in Christ Jesus, but grace through and by Christ Jesus is my emancipation proclamation from sin and from death and from torment and from eternal judgment because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that perfected the law in his righteousness. Praise God. The devil can't have me. I don't have to ever know what hell is. I don't ever have to know what it is to be separated from God. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, knows who I am. Praise God. He knows me. This is great and mighty and powerful truth that will help you see exactly what it is when God came by your way and knocked at the heart and said, Son, come forth. Daughter, come forth. It's your time. What a great God. What a merciful God. They would come by the old building at 216 Shelburne Road when I was 15 years old and show me that it didn't matter who my daddy was. It didn't matter who my granddaddy was. It didn't matter how good I was or how faithful to church I was, but that little Winston needed a savior. Praise God for that. There's nothing I have done, but it is the grace and the perfect law of liberty provided by Christ Jesus. This is why the enemy does not want you to read your Bible. 
If you stay separated from this truth, you can live in defeat. If you stay separated from this truth, you can live anxiously every day for the rest of your existence on this earth. If you're separated from this, then you can live in disappointment till the day you take your last breath. If you stay separated from this, you're open for temptation, you're open for sin, you're open for all the things that the enemy has laid as a trap for you. It leaves you weak, it leaves you vulnerable. God said that you must hide his word in your heart. Be sure of your salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul really, he doubles down on this many times over, but Romans 6, 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And here it is again. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How in the world are you going to live in something that you're dead to? It's powerful stuff, church. Lastly, grace reigns through righteousness. Romans 5.21 That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has acted to set us free from sin and not just the consequences, but in love and acceptance that we could begin to see it here on this earth. That it would change the way we live, that it would change the way we think, that it would change the way we love, it would change the way we serve Him with full abandon of our own selves. Church, here's the bottom line. Thank God every day for your salvation. You better thank Him for His goodness and His mercy. And then once you begin to see it every day of your life, it'll change the way you respond towards this Jesus in the way that you talk, in the way that you think, in the way that you live your life. For by grace are you saved through faith. And the great news of all this is one day this flesh, this rotten, wicked flesh is going to come to an end. It's done for. Its days are numbered. There's an expiration on this old flesh. And one day I'll never, ever, ever have to know what sin is again. One day I'll never, ever have to experience temptation Listen, or even a stray thought. I'll never know what that is ever again when I get home. To not have a stray thought or a misspoken word or a false motive. And the good news is all the guilt of what this life was will be gone. No more guilt. I'll never look at myself again as the inadequate Winston of this earth, but rather the glorified Son of Jesus Christ in His presence forever, never to disappoint Him again. That is grace bestowed upon somebody that does not deserve it. And our attitude because of this grace bestowed upon us is that I want to be obedient to the best of my ability. You say, well, pastor, you're crossing the line of what people call legalism. No, no. I don't want to measure how long your skirt is. I don't want to see how white your kids are. I don't want to see your haircut. I don't care. I want you to live for Jesus 
with full abandon of this nasty, rotten world because of the grace that saved you. We're not talking about a rule book and a box to cram you in. We're talking about the grace and the law of liberty to live as free, happy, guilt-free Christians. Praise God. That's grace. And it comes with boldness and it comes with authority that you can look at the devil in his face and grin real big at him and say, your days are almost over. And I don't have to go where you're going because of the grace and the mercy of God bestowed upon me. Dear Lord, we love you. God, we're just beginning to understand some of this. Father, we're just beginning to scratch the surface of depth in your word. And Lord, we need you. Holy Ghost of God, we ask you to do the work. God, you know what's in the hearts of men. You know what's in the hearts of women and teenagers and young adults and those who are watching online. Father, you know. You know everybody that's here. You can see their hearts. God, I'm thankful that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord in faith believing shall be saved. But Holy Ghost of God, we know that you have to do that work. You have to do that work. It's your grace to give. It's your mercy to bestow. But God, you do it according to your will for your glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that's bestowed upon us. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for our freedom, our emancipation from sin and death. Thank you for signing the warrant that I could be arrested by the Holy Ghost of God and taken to the harbor and the jail of safety and tucked away until that last day. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for arresting my heart. Thank you for arresting my soul. Lord, that I didn't live rebellious, but God, that you came and convicted me. God, that you gave me an opportunity. And Lord, that when the Holy Ghost of God came by my way, I responded to the gospel. Thank you for that. Thank you for our church and for these precious people. Lord, I pray for ones that are discouraged, ones that are hurting, ones that are doubting. God, I pray that you would give them exactly what they need. Lord, for those who are in the most difficult time of their life financially, bless them. Correct their error. God, take an opportunity to show us and to grow us, God, exactly what we need to do in our lives. God, you are in control of us. We surrender to you and your leadership for our life. Now, Father, I pray for this time of refreshing, this jubilee, this encouraging time together. We pray that you would be honored in every song. We pray that you would be honored in every preaching, that you would be honored in everything that's said and everything that's done. God, we're so, so blessed with what you've given us. Help us to be thankful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.